You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 110. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, Canadian immigration lawyer, and I am joined today with my um, my fellow compadre here, Igor Kiriluk. How are you doing, Igor? Hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me for this episode of the podcast. You bet. This one's going to be awesome. So uh, as you've probably seen from the title, this is the Quet program, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so much discussion has been about all the positives of the program, which undoubtedly there are, and we will talk about those. But the part that people are not talking about, that's what this episode is going to be all about. The challenges that people have experienced, both applying and arriving in Canada, the scams and abuses that have generated within the program itself. And it never ceases to amaze me, Igor, how people are so willing to take advantage of their own countrymen, but we'll get into that. So stay tuned. Right off the bat, we want to thank um, our, our sponsor, Journey Business Plans, for sponsoring our podcast. We appreciate them. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing! Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. And uh, yeah, Igor, um, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself? Give a little introduction for our listeners. Yeah, I come from Ukraine and I finished my law school in Odessa. And then in 2016, we've immigrated to Poland and from Poland, we immigrated to the United States. And then in 2020, we landed in Canada as permanent residents. And I was working directly with Mark in securing my permanent residence. And now I'm working for Healthy Immigration Law. I've graduated not long ago from the University of Calgary Foreign Trained Lawyers Program. And I just recently completed my NTA requirements. So super excited to start my articling with Mark as soon as May 15th. At least that's the plan. You bet. And we are super excited to get him going here. Now, taking the law side a little bit to get things sorted out, but it'll be great to have you on board, Igor. Now, the QUIT program. Right from the beginning, we know back, uh, you know, when it was first launched in 2022, 
um, the, the program itself was heralded as this great, wonderful thing. And it truly is. You know, March the 3rd, I think it was around there, 2022, when, when things kind of got rolling. And uh, the government acted quickly. And there's always political aspects to these things. The decisions that they make, there's politics involved. But, you know, for many, many generations, um, uh, Ukrainian citizens and their families have been integral to the development and establishment of Canada from the early days. And even in Alberta, there are large, large Ukrainian communities. And so, you know, one of the people, one of the things that lots of people ask, okay, well, there's a special program for Ukraine, but what about, what about Syria? What about Afghanistan? What about all the other countries? Well, you know, the, the government, these are political decisions, and they made the decision because of a number of factors that they were going to do whatever they could uh, to assist citizens of Ukraine. So the decision came to create the Kuwait visa. So Igor, can you quickly give us a little snapshot of what this thing is? Most people know, but let's let's just talk about it, what it is and what it isn't. Yeah, the Kuwait program is built off the existing visitor visa program. Um, you basically apply for a visitor visa, but then one of the components of the application is the ability to answer yes to the question whether you want to work in Canada. And if you answer yes to that question, you also are eligible to get a through your open work permit at the point of entry. So when you come to Canada, initially they issued visas for 10 years. Now they do for the maximum of three years. And they also give you the work permit, which allows you to establish yourself here and build your future in Canada. And that's an interesting question. You know, so the question is, why did they not do what they did with Syria and with Afghanistan? You know, why didn't they develop a special refugee program? And why did they essentially decide to go with the visitor visa. And uh, this is a question that in the minister's press uh, press conference, I can't remember exactly the date of that. Uh, I think it was around, oh, what do we got for a date, Igor? When did he do that? It's about a month ago. When... I think it was March 22nd. Mar- March the 22nd. Okay. Yeah, we we did a little watch party because the minister was going to announce some special, special announcement. And of course, it was just to say that they were extending the program. And we'll get into those statistics a little bit. But um, one of the... Uh, uh, Globe and Mail reporters, I think it was Janet Dixon, asked this question of the minister, and hopefully we can get this audio. Thanks so much for taking your questions uh, today. I'm wondering, you, and I, I know you've likely gotten this question before, but I've heard from quite a few Ukrainian families um, who are really, you know, say they, they lack support in helping their relatives who have come here or their friends, and, you know, they are treated differently then refugees in that support. So can you explain why the government is going ahead with the visa process um, instead of the normal refugee program? Uh, Certainly. There's a number of reasons why we chose to uh, launch a a new kind of program uh, more than a year ago uh, and why we're choosing to extend those supports today. Uh, At the outset, uh, we came to realize that uh, an ordinary refugee resettlement program Uh, did not have the capacity to move at speed or at such a large scale. We made the decision after we had conversations with uh, people on the ground who saw what was taking place, including our ambassador, uh, that we needed to increase the ambition of our immigration response given the enormous scale of people fleeing Ukraine in the early days of the war and, of course, uh, since. Um, Our refugee resettlement programs, because they draw on uh, the annual immigration levels plan, require us to set a finite number and require us to work very closely with different settlement partners and to advance supports that would have limited our ability to help a uh, such a large number of people. By creating a, a brand new program that provides a temporary humanitarian visa, 
we've been able to leverage the strength of communities, of partners uh, that may be operating on the ground, whether that's organizations or families or employers, to essentially use uh, a modified version of our tourism system, which does not have a cap on the number of people that we can process each year. By moving towards a temporary humanitarian visa, we've been able to help significantly larger numbers of people than what have otherwise been the case. I, I'm actually quite uh, uh, pleased with the results despite some lessons we've learned along the way uh, because we now have a model that can offer temporary protection uh, where it did not exist before. Uh, I hope that this can be applied in other circumstances when people do flee uh, a situation that demands temporary protection. Uh, of course, when I speak to the vast majority of Ukrainians who've arrived here, their hope is that Ukraine is going to win this war. Uh, they want to go home one day uh, to create a program that allows them to have temporary safe haven in Canada uh, while we await uh, the circumstances on the ground uh, becoming safe one day for people to return has allowed us to help um, tens of thousands uh, of people uh, more than would otherwise have been the case under a traditional refugee resettlement model. So there we go. So you can see that the minister there, a couple things that they highlighted was they needed to do something quick. So first off, by having people come in as visitor, you know, applying for visitor visas is way faster than going through the traditional refugee process. And we've seen that with the Syrian effort. We saw that with the, uh, with the Afghanistan uh, program. And so they were able to move very quickly. And another factor is that there's no caps. So you've, you, we'll talk about these numbers and I'll get you to, to share the numbers with our listeners, Igor, on what's happened and what's transpired and who's actually taken advantage of this quit visa. But, um, but we have annual levels plans for the number of refugees that we are going to be, um, uh, you know, that we're going to be bringing into the, the country. And when we have um, caps on those, then we're not able to, um, we're really not able to uh, uh, take a, you know, uh, take just a, an unlimited number of people. We have to take it one step at a time and, uh, and we have to make sure that, uh, um, yeah, that we're that you know we're within the parameters of what Parliament has set, what Cabinet has set for the number of, of people that come in. But there's no holds barred for when it, when it comes to bringing in people through visitor visa process. And so, yeah, what the minister said here was very enlightening. And uh, you know, and sure, when you rush to try to create a program with very very little uh, you know advanced planning and notice, there's going to be challenges and problems with it. So at this stage, Igor, you know, within the process, you know how many people have actually taken, uh, you know, advantage of the program? Yeah, so almost 1 million people applied already. So to be precise, it's 995,000 people who submitted a QUED applications. Of those, 665,000 have been approved. And only 181,000 Ukrainians landed in Canada by air and 27,000 came by land. So, so we've got a little over 200,000 that have come to Canada. And so just for reference, how, what's the population of, of Ukraine? Like how many citizens of Ukraine are there? And we'll get into where you can apply for in a second. But, you know, so if we've got a million who've applied, what, what percentage of that is of the, of the population? Yeah, so the total population would be roughly about 42 million people. So one in every 40 people applied for Canada. Gotcha. And then at this stage, we've had 200 that have actually landed and then how many applications have been approved? Yeah, so they've approved 665,000 applications. Okay. Okay, so the, these are applications that have been approved. And, you know, you've had family that have come, and there's been logistical issues and challenges coming. What, you know, what are some of the logistics that would maybe 
explain why we haven't had more. If there's 200 that have come and there's been over 665 that have been approved, like what are some logistical problems of coming and why are people not coming? Yeah, the major logistical problem is that all males older than 18 years of age are not allowed to leave the country because of the martial law. The other one is the financial issue. Not everyone can afford to buy the tickets. Not everyone could afford to get a passport done. Not everyone can afford to move out of Ukraine and wait until the visa is processed. And then another logistical challenge is the long processing times. There are some people who applied in May uh, last year and still have not heard back from IRCC because they stuck in the background checks. There are some people who don't have valid travel documents and they are waiting until IRCC issues them a one-time travel documents. So there are lots of those logistical issues, uh, logistical issues that Ukrainians have to go through. Yeah, those are real problems that people are just not talking about. So that could account for, you know, the 400,000 people with approved visas that haven't traveled. Now, there are other factors, and we'll talk about the somewhat less uh, hmm, popular <laughs> discussions. But hey, that's a, we're, this is honest and raw, right? We're going to talk about those challenges. You know, so we, so we know that the government at this stage has said, hey, we are going to continue with the program on March the 22nd, which was this, you know, that clip where we pulled it from. And we'll hear from the minister again here. March the 22nd, um, they announced that uh, the last day to apply, they would extend it until July 15th of 2023. And then you had until March 31st, 2024 to actually land in Canada and to, to take advantage of the, the actual visa. And remember, everyone, that the Kuwait is a visitor visa and coupled with it, is an open work permit that you can choose if you want to. The quit visa itself could be issued just like any kind of super visa for up to 10 years, um, depending on the life of the passport that you have. And it's the work permit that is restricted to three years initially. And so we'll see how this plays out if, you know, and we'll hear from the minister in a second here, you know, but you, we heard how um, they're just trying to be quick and, and agile and, and responsive and, you know, we'll hear from him um, where he specifically addresses the challenges and there's mistakes that are made. But uh, but let's, um, Igor, one of the questions that, uh, you know, that a lot of people are, um, are are wondering is there were two programs that were announced at the beginning. You remember, what were the two programs? Yeah, the first one was temporary program to allow people to come to Canada as a safe haven. And then minister also hinted that they will be working on another program which is a family sponsorship program for Ukrainian nationals. But we have not heard back from the RCC since then. Not a peep. And in fact, in that same press conference, um, I couldn't tell who it was that asked the question, but the answer that the minister gave was very telling. And I want to, you know, why they have not ruled out a permanent resident program for uh, Ukrainian nationals. And, and here is his response. There's significantly more time than I have right now. Um, we want to work with the Ukrainian-Canadian community to understand what the needs are. There's also some very real sensitivities that the government of Ukraine has expressed, uh, making sure that they still ha have access to the people who are going to facilitate the reconstruction phase of Ukraine after they win this war. We're going to make decisions not just based on our ideas behind closed doors in Ottawa, but based on engagement with Ukraine, its government, and importantly, Ukrainian-Canadian community. And when we have more to say about uh, long-term visions for the, what comes next, of course, we'll share that publicly, uh, but not without doing proper consultations with the community first. Um, so you can see from that response, Igor, um, it's, it's really critical that people understand the war will come to an end, right? And as the minister says, when 
Ukraine wins and, uh, and the, it's now time to recover. Ukraine wants citizens to come back and help rebuild the country. And Igor, maybe you can just share a little bit of insight on what Ukraine looks like today as a result of this Russian invasion and, and this onslaught, like structurally, the infrastructure within the country. Like what, what, what's, the, what's the status? What does it look like today? Yeah, the situation in Ukraine is very dire. Um, the infrastructure has been destroyed completely by Russia. Um, at one point, people would sit at home for a couple of weeks without electricity, water or heat. The temperature during the winter was about 13 degrees Celsius inside the apartments. The economy is devastated. So it's, it's very challenging in terms of living in Ukraine. And obviously, the country will have to be rebuilt. And it has to be rebuilt by those who can work, young people, males, kids will have to return home and they will have to return to a very devastated country after this war. And obviously Canada does not want to be involved in the labor force theft. And our government is interested in bringing as many people back to Ukraine as, as possible after the war is over. And obviously Canada is interested in meeting its own interest, but it's also is interested in maintaining a very good relationship with Ukraine and returning those people to Ukraine as soon as the war is over. Absolutely. And you can see that in the minister's comments. You know, I can, I can picture, you know, Zelensky getting, uh, you know, the prime minister or Minister Fraser on the phone and said, hey, we appreciate all you're doing for, you know, the women and children and, and helping to pr- provide a safe place for them, you know, while we're defending our country. But, hey, like if you're creating PR programs for them to stay, we need our citizens to come back and help build this country. Otherwise, what was the point of fighting for it if everybody just moves out? And so it, 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 and you can see the minister was very cautious and very, you know, very, very careful in his response that any decision that they, they make in terms of programs and things like that, you know, they are listening and discussing with, uh, you know, with the, the government in Ukraine. So, so those are some of the realities of the program. It's temporary. It's, it's right now. It's, there's, you know, there are caps, uh, not caps, but there are definite expiry dates for when people have to take advantage of these things. But, but who knows? I know, Igor, in our original discussions, you know, you were, you're pretty confident, oh, we should be able to, you know, this should end in, you know, a few months. And then the months became months after months. And like you said, this, this onslaught of, uh, of what Russia's been doing is just literally, they've tried to level the whole country, um, you know, completely remove any infrastructure, any support, make it impossible to live and, and just try to wear down by attrition. And we're not going to get into the you know, into, into the war and details and all those kinds of things. That's not the, the point of this podcast, but, but the people have many, many, <clears throat> excuse me, challenges getting to Canada. But Igor, there's challenges when they get here. So do you want to just touch briefly on those? And then we're going to talk about beware some of the scams and abuses that are out there that people are, are falling into traps with. And uh, so Igor, do you want to just touch on some of the challenges, even that your own, your own family experienced when they came? Yeah. One of the biggest challenges, uh, financial uh, hardship that Ukrainians experience when they come here. And uh, the government of Canada did a great job offering a $3,000 assistance to every adult and $1,500 for every minor child upon arrival. So all you have to do is just uh, have a social insurance number, apply for a bank card, and then as soon as you get those two things done, you can apply for financial assistance. It's a non-taxable benefit, so it's one-time payment. 
but it helps lots of Ukrainians to get settled in Canada. Unfortunately, some people abuse the system. They would come to Canada, get the $3,000, and then fly back the next week, let's say. So they would use the money to sort of finance their little vacation. Um, that brings me to another challenge. Um, this program is open not only to Ukrainian citizens who lived in Ukraine at the time the war broke out. So pretty much every Ukrainian citizen, regardless of the country where he used to live at the time when the war started, regardless of how long ago he was the last time in Ukraine, can benefit from this program. So what happens is lots of Ukrainians who used to live in um, Europe, let's say, for the last 10-15 years, would benefit from this program, come to Canada, get their money, and then fly back. And then the other problem is, uh, for those who actually come to Canada and want to stay, for them it's uh, hard to find housing. Uh, landlords are not keen to lease their apartments to renters who don't have significant savings or who don't have stable income. And for Ukrainians coming to Canada with no bank accounts, no savings, it's really hard to find a job and find housing all at the same time. There have been some attempts to mitigate this challenge by offering free hotels for up to two weeks. There are lots of uh, Canadian families who host Ukrainians, but we're one year into the conflict, people get tired. I, I can see this shift in how people approach the challenge of Ukrainians who come here. Yeah, it's not easy. And another issue, you know, as we go through <clears throat> some of the challenges is, is language too, for some people, right? And when you come, it's not easy to find a job, even if you have a work permit, um, when you don't speak the language. And I remember when my, uh, my wife and my daughter were um, going, you know, up to Edmonton to get her grad dress, um, there was a, a girl from Ukraine that was working in the, the bridal shop. And, uh, and she was just, you know, she had virtually no English whatsoever, but the bridal shop was trying to get her in, you know, really, it's, it was pretty amazing. And I saw many employers that were willing to do this, to hire um, citizens of Ukraine to, to come work and basically kind of learn English on the job. And, and uh, you know, what could she offer? Well, you know, as far as, you know, the communicative, the communication and things like that was, was not there, but obviously she was able to, to different, do different jobs and things like that. But, but yeah, if you, if you don't speak English, it, it's really, really difficult. What was the experience of your family, Igor? Yeah. So my mother-in-law, she doesn't speak any English. The only job that she could find was the cleaning job and housekeeping in a hotel. Um, same with my sister-in-law. She barely speaks English. And for her, it's really challenging to find a good paying job. I, I have a couple of friends, though, who landed a $60,000 job within a week or two after arrival. So there are some very good experiences, some terrible experiences. And those experiences largely depend on your language abilities. And that brings me to actually another point, Mark. Those people who come to Canada, they um, have different motivations. Some of them come for the better future for their children. And they want to stay in Canada, regardless of the effort it takes. Uh, but some of them, and most of them actually, don't realize that if they come in the older age with no language, with no work experience and skilled occupations, they don't have a chance to stay here unless they apply for a humanitarian program, which becomes another challenge. Um, humanitarian program is over-promoted and it's been speculated that it's another pathway to permanent residence in Canada. And so many Ukrainians rely on this program and they think, I'm just going to stay here for a couple of years and then if nothing works out, 
I always have this back route. You know, I can always benefit from humanitarian program. And it doesn't work this way. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because this is the first of many podcasts that we're going to be doing, you guys, that are directed to um, Ukrainians who are here. There is so much misinformation out there. <clears throat> just awful stuff going on. Unregulated, just basically crooked consultants or agents who are not authorized, who are creating their Instagram channels and are, you know, um, you know, there's lots of sophisticated scammers out there creating fancy websites, charging money, which is illegal. You cannot charge any fee unless you're an immigration lawyer or you are a regulated immigration consultant. And so you get people, and this comes back to my initial comments about never ceasing to amaze me how frequently people are willing to take advantage of their own countrymen. Well, that is what we're seeing. And with a regulator, you know, that is just doesn't have the ability or desire to go after people. It's really scary because people can make whatever promises they want, guaranteed visa, you know, you go through us 100% or money back, you know, and uh, we'll help you to get your visa. Well, Igor and I created a free course for people. And you know, how many people have taken advantage of that free course? I think it's probably, you know, between 500 and 600 people, right? No, and uh, no. we have 1000 people, 1% oh, oh. of every, everyone who applied for a co-ed visa came through our course, 1%. Okay, well, there you go. And, and how much did we charge, Igor? Zero dollars. Zero, right? So there are resources, and the goal of this podcast is to try to help and disabuse people. Now, do we want people who have resources and want to hire an immigration representative to help them? Do we want them to reach out to Igor and to our law firm? Yes, we do. But the reality is we are here to help people understand, become educated, know what is really possible and what to avoid. And, you know, we, we, we won't dive too deep into that because we'll cover this in, you know, what options are available for permanent residents, which provinces are the best, you know, if you're looking to go through the programs, because we know the minister is very unlikely he's going to create some magical PR program that will allow people to stay permanently at this stage. So it would have to go through one of the regular streams. And some require a more heavy emphasis on language than others. Some, you know, are not worried so much about age. And, uh, but it's a matter of dissecting all those things. And we'll talk about that at length. All right, Igor, what do you think the future is going to hold? Like, what do you think? You think this is going to settle down? Think it's going to come to an end and, and people will, you know, will, will want to, to return? What, what do you think will happen? I'll leave this with their final remarks as, as we transition out of this, uh, this episode. Yeah, today's April 28th, Friday. And this is the time when all and every single Ukrainian is awaiting for the long-awaited um, offensive against Russian troops. And so we hope that the war will be over by the end of the year. And hopefully when the war is over, there will be lots of Ukrainians who want to come home, who want to reunite with their loved ones. And um, for those who want to stay and who are eligible for one of the immigration programs and who want to contribute to Canada, we also want them to succeed in this country and not be falling prey of unregulated consultants of crooked compadres from Ukraine who want yeah. to take advantage of them by charging the money and offering a very low quality service or no service at all. Or, or worse, awful service that results in them really destroying their chances of staying in Canada if that's what they want to do. Yeah. So we'll have to see how the situation evolves in the next couple of weeks. That's when we expect the counteroffensive to start. And then I'm sure we will record another episode of the podcast dedicated to Kuwait, where we will talk more about potential challenges and difficulties that Ukrainians face upon coming to Canada and how to be safe when dealing with unregulated 
agents and what to do if you face any challenges with immigration. So super excited to join you in the next episode, Mark. Excellent. Thanks so much, Igor. We'll see everybody soon. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian immigration.